The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the third chapter. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let me be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hear again the words of the prophet Isaiah. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesse, it is helpful to know, was King David's dad. King David, it is helpful to know, was ever remembered as the greatest king Israel had ever known. David having been king during those golden years that even centuries later were recalled not just as the good but the great old days. As opposed to these days when the prophet Isaiah had not so very long ago begun to prophesy at a time and place where now in the place of David's one united kingdom now stood two bitterly divided kingdoms whose rulers, one in the north in Samaria, one in the south in Jerusalem, with very few exceptions, were inept at best, inept and wicked commonly, and entirely too frequently inept and wicked and absolutely uninterested in the words of either the Torah of Moses or the prophecies of prophets like Isaiah. For Moses and prophets, of course, would tell all of them to turn their hearts to God and their passion and compassion to the poor, which completely did not interest these rulers, their hearts long ago having become the throne rooms of other gods, and their passion being not the needs of the poor, but the pleasures and riches of themselves. Under the succession of these weak and weaker and wicked and wickeder rulers, 
both the northern and southern partitions of David's former one kingdom were on the world's geopolitical stage increasingly threatened by and subject to the whims of nations and empires to their north and south and east and west which, at which they sat at crossroads increasingly leading them to live not only in fear but also in sniveling servitude as bit players and puppet states subject to the whims or dreams of the kings or empires, emperors of whichever adjacent nation or empire happened to be flexing its muscles at the moment. In times like that, David was a king whose glory was the stuff nostalgia was made of. Unless you were the prophet Isaiah, who, burning with a passionate fire in his, his soul that was actually the spirit of God in his soul, proclaimed David's kingdom's glory as the stuff that hope was made of. And so came the prophet Isaiah speaking the words he spoke some two and a half centuries after David, at a time when things were anything but good and golden, at a time when not their armies securing and expanding their borders, but foreign armies massed at their borders were the armies that were feared, at a time when gods who weren't the Lord God of Israel were worshipped and prayed to even by many in Israel, at a time when the current inept and incompetent puppet ruler sitting on the throne in the northern kingdom, who had ascended to that throne by murdering his predecessor, was offered no choice but to do exactly what the ruler of the now prominent Assyrian Empire told him to do. He then, however, had the brilliant idea of appealing to Egypt, to the south, for help, and then decided no longer to pay the demanded tribute to the Assyrians to the north. It did not work out well. As the Assyrian army responded by laying siege to Samaria and conquering it and its king to replace him with no one at all. And that Samaritan kingdom from, that on, from then on even to this day would be no more. Its people deported and scattered through what is now Iraq and Syria to become what became known as the Lost Tribes of Israel. And though it would be a century and a half later, the same fate Isaiah and other prophets would later say would await the last of the kings of the southern kingdom in Jerusalem when the Babylonians from the east would be the ones flexing their muscles and in doing so would level Jerusalem and its walls and its temple to the ground. It was a time, in other words, when soon and very soon all that would remain of David's once glorious family tree would be a hacked off stump. In those bleak and fearful times, the prophet Isaiah, not with blind eyes pretending the day's headlines weren't fearful, but rather with faith strong enough to look fearful things in the eye, turned with prophet's eyes and faith toward the future. And faith turned toward the future is something the Bible has a name for. 
For faith turned toward the future is what the Bible is talking about when it uses the word hope. And so some two and a half centuries after David and some seven and a half centuries before Jesus, his prophet's eyes fixed on the future with both prophecy and hope. The prophet Isaiah prophesied and proclaimed, a shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Meaning, in other words, that God would one day once again send a leader to rule not just Israel, but the whole world. And he would be of the house and lineage of, a descendant of, referred to as a son of King David. But as great as David's rule was, Isaiah went on to say, the kingdom of the one who would come would, as it turns out, not in fact be like the kingdom of the King David. Because why? Because King David, in a violent world, was a wartime king who led his people in worship, yes, but also led them in battle, establishing and maintaining his kingdom violently with swords and spears. In fact, the most remembered act of David's entire lifetime, though we've turned it into a children's story for Sunday school, David's nevertheless most remembered act of his whole life was a gruesomely violent one. When still barely more than a child himself, he felled the Philistine Goliath with a stone from his sling. And then, in a detail pretty much universally omitted in Sunday school curricula, he hacked off Goliath's head with Goliath's own sword and took it back to Jerusalem with him as a wartime trophy. David truly, even without lens tinted with nostalgia, was, yes, indeed, in many ways a great, great king. But he was a great king who, in a violent world, established and maintained a kingdom violently. The one to come, on the other hand, Isaiah said, though a descendant of David would be great with greatness, even great King David hadn't begun to ascend to for while David, in his corner of the world, hammered out a kingdom using the power of spear and sword and sling to spill the blood of his enemies, the one to come, Isaiah would say just a few chapters later, would establish his kingdom by spilling his own blood and doing so even for his enemies. And in doing so, the ruler to come, Isaiah said, would turn not just a corner of the world, but all of the world and all of its worldly ways and all of its worldly violent wisdom upside down. For the upside-down power, upside turning power he would be powerful with, Isaiah said, would be the power of not aggression but mercy, the power of not vengeance but forgiveness, the power of not pompous pride but healing love. And so upside down would things by him be turned, Isaiah said in today's reading, that under his reign and in his kingdom, wolves would play with lambs, lions would lie down with sheep, bears would frolic in the pasture with cattle, children 
would play safely with poisonous and deadly stakes, snakes, and leading the way for all would be not grim-faced and gray-haired men in dark blue power suits or dark olive green or blue military uniforms. No, in this upside-down turned kingdom to come, leading the way, Isaiah said, the way for all would be a little child. We, of course, during Advent prepare, among other things, to celebrate the coming of a little child who was a descendant of David and who with mercy and forgiveness and love in his hands and heaven in his heart would grow not just to proclaim the coming of God's new kingdom but also to be in the flesh the coming of God's new kingdom. The world of course sick then as it is in so many ways remains sick now. With a sickness it sickly thinks violence is the cure for. The world then violently would nail him to a cross. Then in all of its worldly wisdom to proclaim the battle won. The enemy of the world's violent ways having violently now been done away with. That plan, of course, didn't work out the way they thought it would either. And so 2,000 years later, it is still him for whom we wait, and of whom, come Christmas, we sing, What child is this? The Christian proclamation that he is a child whose heartbeat is literally the heartbeat of God in the flesh. In other words, what? In other words, don't let the violent claims to power or violent acts by the world's powerful fool you. For swords and spears and chariots couldn't establish the kingdom of God on earth in David's day any more than nails and spears and a cross could defeat his kingdom's plans 2,000 years ago today, any more than any power our still sin-sick world calls powerful will be able to prevent the full and final kingdom of this child's rule, this son's reign, one day. That is the promise of this season and the promise of the prophets, and the promise of the Son. The kingdom of God in the Son has come. The kingdom of God with the Spirit comes still. And the kingdom of God one day at last and fully will come. And the world then will then at last and fully be turned upside down be healed, be changed in the ways of power that is truly powerful. Some, some like Isaiah, Martin Luther King Jr. for example comes to mind, some like Isaiah could with their eyes and hearts and in the dreams they dreamed see this kingdom 
where enemies become friends. And making their own sacrifices, they made changes in our world and made changes in many of our hearts that were holy changes. Because they were here and now in this real world that now is changes in the holy direction of the world and kingdom that by God one day will be forever. It's our holy calling too. Even if we aren't Isaiah or Jesus or Martin Luther King Jr. Calling Jesus Lord and in doing so dreaming the same dreams that Jesus and people like Isaiah and Martin Luther King Jr. did dream our calling. As we hold fast to the hope of what we are promised one day all things will be our calling in this violent world is with our flesh and sweat and if need be even our blood to be the things which will one day and forever be and in so doing turning our corner of the world upside down and in so doing in fact turning it right side up again and how shall we who aren't Isaiah or Jesus or Martin Luther King for example do that well according to our every year Advent friend John the Baptist we do it by repenting repenting being a word that actually literally means turning turning from the sins with which we've yielded to the ways and supposed wisdom of the world, turning then sins and all to the Savior and forgiver of sinners who comes to the world with mercy in his arms to heal still, then to turn toward the world with mercy, never ever turning away from any opportunity we have to forgive and turning squarely above all into every opportunity we in our daily lives do have in word and deed to be the truth that the God who truly is God is love. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christians fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Nail spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the Word made flesh, the babe, the son of David. Amen.